Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. It is Saturday, November 18th, and it's a very important day to me, Robbie. Wanna know why? Why is that? Today is where I have my roots. It is Lehigh's rivalry game against Lafayette, or was, at uh, 12.30. So, for those who don't know, I went to Lehigh, and... I was a big fan of their football program when I was there. Still kind of am. But it's the most played college football game in history. This year was the 159th, not consecutive because of COVID, but 159th meeting between two teams. And I'm happy to report that we didn't, we scored 21 points, but we lost 49 to 21. Which is about usually how it goes, right? (laughs) It Well, yes, Lafayette has the better record, but they were up. So, for context, Lehigh was two and eight this year. Lafayette was eight and two. Sometimes it's flipped. Sometimes they both are kind of just meh. But it was like twenty-one to fourteen and a half. I checked my phone later. They put up Lafayette put up fourteen in the third and twenty-one in the fourth. So they just rolled them. Um, but you know what? It's a uh, it, it rivals uh, Ohio State, Michigan. It rivals. Does uh, it now? <laughs> But to me, it does in terms of importance. But that's my quick uh, two cents about the world of D1 AA football. Let's talk about some sports. Let's talk briefly about baseball. I know the season has come and gone, but they just announced the MVP awards. So for us sulking Philly fans, there wasn't a whole lot. The two things to note upon are the MVPs, the NL and AL MVP. Ronald Acuna Jr. for the NL, and then Shohei Atani winning his second consecutive MVP for the AL. What's really noteworthy is both were unanimous MVPs, and on top of that, this is Otani's second MVP, you know, back-to-back years, and he won both of them unanimously. So, the big thing, really quick, I know we'll not touch on it a whole lot because nothing's really developed, but I'm going to say... And I don't think this is a hot take by any means. Otani is as good as gone out of Los Angeles. He is oh, yeah. going somewhere else. And I wanted your quick thoughts about where he's going. Is it the Cubs? Well, is it yeah, the, stripes? The, the Cubs are the ones that are seemingly being the most aggressive. And that my guess is because they're the ones that have the least amount of chance to actually sign him. Um, but the Cubs, obviously, as as most people have heard of, are, are right in the mix for him. You know a team like the Yankees and the Dodgers are both going to be well in the mix for Shohei Otani. And I also assume a team like the Red Sox are also going to throw their, their hat in the ring to try and land this superstar. In reality, it has been so clear in my mind that he's going to New York. I, I, I don't see a world where a team offers him more money. I don't see a world where they offer him a more friendly player friendly contract. And New York has always been known even more than the Dodgers to the team to spend in free agency. Because the Dodgers are a team that likes to trade a lot during the year. The Yankees are the team that likes to build their team in the offseason and then hope to God is a good one. This would be a lot of what they do. This would be a lot of their offseason in one one foul swoop. But at this point, and again, like you said, not a whole lot has developed yet, but at this point, it's hard for me to argue against the Yankees just because of I mean, how, how great of a situation they can offer him. Don't disagree. They probably will try and spend the most. They obviously covet him because why wouldn't you? Right. They're having the idea of 
Otani, Judge, and then what Stanton could be. What's what's left of Stanton? Yeah. Yeah, that that is very scary, especially on that short fence out in the uh, mm-hmm. good old the Bronx. I agree that he probably has to go to a major market. Chicago still being a major market, but the Cubs are okay. You know, in my mind, though, I don't think he's lukewarm about the Yankees for whatever reason. I'm not him, but it just that's kind of the vibe I get. I'm going to say either the Dodgers or I'm going to say the Red Sox. I don't think he goes to the Mets. That's probably the third one I would be curious about. They're the dark horse in this. You're not going to hear them much, but you know they're going to put something out there. Just because as of the last two decades, they have won so much. The Red Sox, in this case, Dodgers have been very successful not getting over the hump. The Dodgers could be interesting, though, just from a not commuting perspective, but like being able to get back home or be closer to home. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much that plays a factor, but being in L.A. for the Angels, like it's probably a comfort to a degree. You're in a different country, obviously, but it's intriguing. So we'll see what develops. I'm going to assume the Cubs will be out of the running, but it'd be funny if you went to a team like the Brewers or like some, like the, even the Rays, like just some kind of oddball, good team. So hey, I'll to the Marlins. Call it here first. That tell you what, if you actually think that bet on it, you could put a dollar on it. You'll probably be able to pay for your retirement. Seriously. But we'll see how that develops. Nonetheless, we're in the actual swing of sports now. It's November. It's right before Thanksgiving. We got to talk basketball, though. We'll, we'll save football for the end. Uh, last time we were here, we just complained about the in-season tournament. Yes, we did. Yes, I'm we did. Not going to spare everyone the expense of complaining about it this week. Nonetheless, they've inspired some more competitive games, I think, especially at the start of the season. Um, but I think one of the main storylines that we feel obligated to talk about is we discussed prior about the Harden trade. Sixers got some assets and got some role players. Clippers get Harden. Uh, it has gone up in flames almost immediately. Like this was like pouring gasoline in a campfire. <laughs> up until last night, was it six straight or four straight? It was six straight games since acquiring James Harden that the Clippers had lost. He had played in every single one. He had not won a game since being acquired last night. Finally, in, like you said beforehand, what should have been a mop-up easy game for the Clippers turned into some very competitive down-the-stretch game, which, of course, it's good to have those games. It's good to get that going, especially with a core that just got recently put together. But some games you just want to put away. and. If a Clippers team, I mean, this, these Clippers are already struggling out of the gate. They're they're already not even in the play-in standing. If you can't take care of business in the games that you should win, it doesn't matter how well your team starts to mesh. Everybody's betting against this Clippers team right now. The question is, did Harden actually make them better or not? Once once he's fully integrated into the into the lineup, into the offense, did Harden make them better? Almost everybody here in the in the world of basketball is going to tell you yes, right? Of course, he's James Harden. He's a former MVP. He's a perennial All Star. He led, I believe, he led the league in assists last year. That being said, 
all of my bias aside, the things I've been saying about James Harden over the last few years were not just out of spite. They were definitely out of spite, but not just out of spite. <laughs> James Harden is really not good anymore. I mean, he's he's always been a bad defender. We know that. We, we, we That has been entrenched in his career. He is not a good defensive player. And that has been made even more glaring as he's aged. And his offensive bag, we'll call it, has diminished as well. He's not a three-point shooter anymore. He really struggles to draw that contact that he used to be famous for. All of a sudden, James Harden, these, these things that he used to be able to fall back on aren't there anymore. And it's almost like James Harden forgot about the concept of aging. And we know his body's not in as good a shape as it used to be. It's not even a question of does this guy deserve the 40 whatever million dollars he's getting paid right now. It's does this dude actually deserve to be playing professional basketball in the NBA? And to me, the answer is no. The answer has been no for about a year and a half now. But the Clippers are now stuck. They have no choice. And so what are they doing? Russell Westbrook is becoming the leader that everybody hoped he would have been a few years ago with the Lakers. He's decided to come off the bench. He's saying these guys need to figure it out together in the starting lineup. They don't need me here. I know my role on this team. I'm going to take a step back. But let, let's move on here for a second. Let's go a few months down the line. Let's say this Clippers team even does start to figure it out and they they, they pop above 500. They're in the, the play in low playoff ranking. Does it really matter? Like, how far do you really think this team can go? Another point that we have harped on for years at this point is the idea of ball-dominant players. Yeah. Kawhi and Paul George being two ball-dominant players, it when they're healthy, it worked very well because they could feed off each other. And Kawhi is ball-dominant but also can kind of play and mesh around. And Russell Westbrook, very ball-dominant player. And on top of that, Harden, you only got one ball. Yep. It it sounds good on paper. It's exciting. But it's not and probably won't be the most efficient lineup you can concoct. It's good that Westbrook wants to come off the bench. And I'm sure it'll benefit him in the long run because he'll actually get a chance to shoot and kind of do what he can and go after some lesser players. They are stuck. I I will fault them because it definitely made their team worse. And that writing, I think, was on the wall even before it could have happened with just how ball-centric they are. But you're right. They are stuck, like even for a year. And what this does is you've traded a lot of your pieces. You still have some younger players. Okay, sure. But at this point, if you Unless you can get to the semifinals of the Western Conference, you need to just blow it up and salvage whatever you can. That's going to be tough for them because everyone's aged. Everyone's aged and their contracts are so massive. I mean, it's literally hard to trade Kawhi Leonard because you ha- there is no one player worth his value. You have to get a package deal. Right. Westbrook, I think contract I believe is fine because when he got traded to the Jazz they waived him. Yes. So they took on his contract I think or took on a chunk of it. Or they they I, paid it's I think they like paid the guaranteed money and then that was you know, Okay, yeah. It's like well it's kind of like a buyout but we'll just yeah. give you all of it. That so Westbrook if he's worth something 
that contract becomes easier to swallow a little bit. But Wes Nets out is they are in trouble. I know it's early in the season, so anything we can really hypothesize is bound to change. But sure. it's a tough one because those guys had great seasons and were MVP candidates or MVP winners because they were clutch. They were making shots. They've aged out of it, unfortunately. Paul George is not the Paul George in OKC, which is the best version of him. Kawhi Leonard is not the Toronto Raptors Kawhi Leonard. As much as it pains me, he's not the same guy. And it is unfortunate because of how good he was, but he's not. And he's not playing three-fourths of the season. James Harden's not the James Harden MVP. Russell Westbrook's not the MVP candidate. Zubak is not the center for the Lakers. You can't handle Zubas. <laughs> so I know that's a lot, but it's man. I am going to hate saying this. It's up to Ty Lue to fix things. And that's a problem. Well, there, it, there you go. There you go. He, but this is where he, if I would say gamble with it, you got to do something different and probably do some sort of new offense, not where it's ISO ball, shoot and rinse, repeat. Try something new, but you're going to need people to buy into it. I think the ego will not allow for buy-in. So I think you're shooting for a seven seed at best and you're playing the play-in and we'll see where you net out there. For those, uh, for those long-standing fans of this podcast, this is a historic moment for us. Baker has officially turned on the Los Angeles Clippers. I am very, very proud. We stood firm. We held out. We've got him to turn around. I mean, it was all James Harden's fault. Let's be real here. Um, they just they hoarded forwards. You got to love a good 3 and D player, right? <laughs> That's what they took all of and, them. And they, they gave them all away. Who? Let's talk about that for a second. They gave them all away to the Philadelphia 76ers, who, might I add, have looked sensational since I mean I mean since the start of the season basically but but especially since the Harden trade Tyrese Maxey we were all like is he going to take this step well lo and behold he was the Eastern Conference Player of the Month for the first month of the month plus of the NBA season that speaks leaps and bounds to where he's going to be going that Philadelphia 76ers currently sit second in the Eastern Conference just behind the Boston Celtics Embiid I believe has scored 30 straight in four plus games or four games straight 30 plus in four games straight that's what I was trying to say sorry. He's looked excellent so far this year, the reigning MVP. I would say he and Jokic are probably the top two MVP candidates. Again, about a month in, not very far in yet, but they, again, seem to be the top two names in that MVP conversation. We talked about last episode where Philly could go from here if Maxi maybe didn't give them that, that, that thought that he, could, he really could be that second guy. One month in, we're feeling like he might be able to take that step. So let's turn our focus to the Eastern Conference as a whole, as the teams that we kind of expected to see separate themselves from the pack have almost already started to do so. Boston and Philly came off to torrid starts to the year. We know that they have only recently started to, quote unquote, come back down to earth. Milwaukee has been themselves the whole season long. Very good, very solid, very difficult team to beat. And then Miami, you got to talk about the Heat for a second. You know, I'm a Heat fan. They're on a seven game win streak, longest, obviously since the start of the year, longest win streak for any team of the year so far. They started one and four, tough start to the year. But now all of a sudden they go on the road, they won four straight. And might I add, in this, the, 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 the first round pick the Heat had this year, they used on Jaime Jaquez. And that was a 
highly controversial pick at the time. Jaime Jaquez played every single minute of every single fourth quarter on that four-game Heat road trip in which the Heat won every single game. That right there is not just him proving that he belongs here. That is proving that Eric Spolster has faith in him. Eric Spolster is not a man to play rookies that unwarranted. Nikola Jovic has barely sniffed an NBA court so far in just his second year. Hawkes is a special player. They said when he got drafted, there was one guy that came to mind when you watch Jaime Hawkes play, and that was Jimmy Butler. So I don't know if he'll get that good. But the Heat have started to figure something out. Duncan Robinson is shooting the lights out right now. He's been excellent. And Bam, Bam is on another level. Bam has cemented himself as the third best center in the NBA so far this season. The Heat are coming together. Sixers and Boston are really looking strong right now. The Bucks, obviously, with Dame starting to figure it out and get comfortable, are figuring it out as well. Is there a point to any other Eastern Conference team really trying to build a, ch- a, a, a competitive team this year? Or, or should teams like the Knicks and the Cavs, some of these teams that we've seen in the mix the last few years, should they almost take this as a soft rebuilding year? Well... Pacers are five underneath that. And I think mm-hmm. for them, they should stay the course, do what they have, not make any aggressive moves, but use this as a good way to get experience. Like Halliburton's taking another step forward. He has, yes. I think it was 31 assists in two games, no turnovers. He's incredible. He's, he's a top five point guard right now. He's playing great. And I think, you know, we can talk about who won that trade till we're blue in the face, the Kings and Pacers trade. But I think, Halbert in this new role where he can have the keys to the offense does so much and has really unlocked him. So that change of scenery has really helped. Um, Magic are the same way. Just take, take what you can do and run. You have a lot of young yeah. talent, develop them as much as you can. After that, you got the Knicks, Cavs and Hawks. If I could, if I could just interject about the magic real sure. quick, I say it every year. They always, every single year, start out a little bit hot. Like, oh, they might actually be okay this year. They always fall off. The magic will not be even in the play in this year. I promise you that. Paolo Boncaro is great, but they're not there yet. Man, there are some bad teams though in the East. And I the think East they does the, stink. Like, they they will be better than the Pistons, the Wizards, I think the Hornets too. And if the Bulls decide to sell shop, which we'll talk about a little bit later, yep. I think they can be ahead of them. So then they have to be better than like the Nets or Raptors. So that it's not guaranteed. I think they can do a lot. But regardless, even if they fall off, you still got to take a lot of this young talent and just see how it pans out. Because if you don't, you probably will trade a bunch of assets for – a guy like Russell Westbrook, a guy like Paul George, who's probably past their prime, and then you're just you're mortgaging the future for nothing really in the present. You do you're doing what the Nets did a few years ago with Pearson Garnett, and it's it's risky business. Right. Um the the Knicks are stuck, but like not because of well, it's because of their own fault, but it's because Julius Randle is just gonna yeah, they, fizzle out. They they got roped into paying guys they didn't need to pay. Brunson, as good as he is, is not quite the the lead you to the promised land type of player yet. He's very good. But with Randall as your next best guy, Rand, first of all, Julius Randall's eating up about $27 million a year for absolutely nothing. He disappeared at the end of that Heat series last year. And I know he got hurt at some point during the playoffs, but still, it's it, it, almost irresponsible as a superstar like that. 
And I think I remember specifically quoting Stephen A on here when 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 he said RJ Barrett is useless. RJ Barrett is literally useless. That the depth of the Knicks is atrocious, and that's what I think will inevitably do them in. Brunson maybe isn't the number one guy that'll take you to a championship, but his contract is of great value. Just from they're paying him twenty five million a year, and he's 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 great for them. Probably can't be the number one option, or at the very least needs a very incredible number two. Yeah. But, yeah, Randall's a tough one, R.J. Barrett. And then it probably doesn't get talked about enough, but Tom Thibodeau needs to go, too. Yeah, like, he does. I get the passion on defense, but he makes a lot of what seem like questionable lineup calls and just the it's a little scuffed. I don't watch enough Knicks basketball to really get into the nitty gritty, but like, that's what I saw last year. And I mean, you can say it how it is too. He ruined the careers of Derek Rose, Wall Dang and Joakim Noah by playing them too much. Derek Rose oh, may have been inevitable, but Dang and Dang and Noah happened because of Thibodeau. So I think they do need a change of pace on the coaching front, not Doc Rivers, but like something <laughs> different. Oh, Doc. Uh, the Cavs though. The Cavs, I think, should make a move. Not to say they're going to be a formidable – like, they won't get past the semis, and I don't even know if they'll make it past the first round, depending on what their seed is. But they got to try something because their core, is, their core is young, but they're getting into that point where it's like, okay, they can start to be something, and they need more playoff experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the question that was posed in the offseason that will be posed when his contract is up at the end of the year is, do they trade Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, and that's, you know, that's enticing for the Knicks. But I, I've on paper, I like what the Cavs have done. I just don't think it ends up panning out how we like it to on paper. But you need to do whatever you can to keep Mitchell around, in my opinion. Yeah. I completely agree. He's a sensational talent. And then after that, Hawks should sell. I mean, they already kind of sold John Collins. The Nets. Uh, nope. That's our, the, they should sell, too, but, like, they don't have anything to sell. Mikael Bridges, you keep because he's playing great. Yeah, he's a keep, and nobody else wants anything else on that team. Maybe Dinwiddie, if you can get anything for him at this point. I think Cam Johnson you could get something for, but I also think you want to keep him, too. I think he's he's decent. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's good. Yeah. Uh. If you can get anything for Ben Simmons, go for it. But I don't think you get anything. You could you could get about Russell Westbrook or or James Harden. <laughs> I Russell Westbrook on the Nets. I don't hate it. No, I it. So in short, the, the younger teams should stay the course. Teams that like the Cavs that need to prove something need to do as much as they can or look to buy, and then pass that sell as much as you can and where i want to go to is the bulls because they started ice cold they're four and nine they have a lot of good pieces your carusos your levines your derosans and there's been a lot of talk about trading them uh the lakers like any other player that's of half decent importance are interested in every one of them means the heat and the knicks aren't far behind no absolutely not The Bulls one is tough because, like, they should start over. But, man, they just have nothing. 
there's nothing that they can they need to just start from the ground up. No, they they need to do that like DeMontis Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton. They don't have a player to just be like, here, we're turning to you now. They need to go get that player. That it's like, hey, we're turning to you now. Whatever team you are on has for whatever reason lost faith. Like a Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like exactly like what has been happening every okay. once in a while. You gotta find that diamond in the rough that's in this weird situation and doesn't need to be there. Like I don't think it's possible because I don't think they would want to trade him quite yet. But like a Cade Cunningham, like that's who you have to go after. That's the kind of guy you need to get. So I'll pose this question. Do you think the Bulls are good judges of talent? No, they no. So, no. So, so <laughs> how are they going to find a diamond in the rough? They're not. But they're, so, they can so, try. They can you, try. They can humor the rest of the I'll, league. I'll, walk, walk, with, walk with me here, Robert. <laughs> So they can't fight a dive in the rough. They're probably going to have to get rid of their guys unless they really want to give Levine more money or DeRozan a big contract at like 36. You're going to have to just tear it all down. And they just need to salvage whatever they can. Like Patrick Williams has not been good. No. No, that was, I mean, that was a swing and a miss of a pick. I don't know why they took him so high that year. Fourth over. Overall, for basically, got all were hurt most of his rookie year and hasn't played much since. Um, they paid Vucevic or traded big bucks for Vucevic for no reason. They signed Drummond then right after that, which was just pointless. And then the rest of their depth is point guards. They did they was the as great as he has been. There was no need to go get Caruso. There was no need to draft Asunmu. They they make mistakes all the time, and that's why I mean I mean top to bottom, the Bulls need to make some changes, of course. That's that's not something that we're allowed to go ahead and predict is going to happen, though. So what we have to say is, yes, exactly. They need to just full on blow everything up. They need to get whatever they can for Levine. I mean, the the, the issue is that, in my opinion, the two teams that would be most aggressive for Zach Levine are the Sixers and the Heat, who are two teams that have zero first round capital to be offering for Zach Levine. Yeah. And at this point, I guess maybe more so the Heat than the Sixers, but like. The Sixers could offer everything they got in the Harden trade, or like some of it. Yeah. The Heat yeah, could man. offer Tyler Hero. Like they could, there's plenty of people that they could offer, but like I know it's early in the season, but I don't think Levine makes your team much better. You lose a lot of your depth if you do. The Sixers, if they fizzle out, could be like Tyrese Maxey is at a hot start, and that's great. If he begins to fizzle out, that's where it's like, okay, maybe you do need some sort of score. But it's going to be interesting to see come deadline because I bet you the Bulls will hold on to them and, you know, we'll be looked to dealt with them in the new year. But we'll yeah. see. I bet I bet actually if any Bull gets traded out like of their big three, it's Vucevic just because as as irrelevant as he's been him? since signing there, there is a use for a seven foot center that can shoot. But who he's. Like I don't know what you get for him. That's like, oh yeah, that I'd trade him. I would give them Haywood, Highsmith, and two second round draft picks. But I don't think they're gonna take that. I think that's an excellent offer for Nikolovic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. I, I'm not disagreeing, but I think the value discrepancy is there. Yeah. That's where the Bulls, while they've been bad and haven't done a whole lot value their players probably more than the open market does 
DeRozan, yeah, I think, is the exception just because everyone loves DeRozan. If anyone is wondering what the Bulls are going to inevitably do, just remember what happened when they had to get rid of Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Although teams uh, who trade Jimmy Butler seem to always be on the losing end of that transaction. So, um, I do want to talk about this quick. Uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. got hit by a car. I did want to bring that up. Yes, that was that. I mean, he's excellent for the Sixers so far. But yeah, what was it? Two weeks ago now, outside his own home, he got hit by a car, and he's going to be out for most of the rest of the year. Well. That's where it gets – this gets murky because I heard that originally. And first of all, like, was half convinced he was going to just be in the hospital or, like, be paralyzed or whatever. It got switched to, okay, most of the year. And now it sounds like out indefinitely, but like, a return looking for January. We'll see about I've that. I've also heard that there was no – sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. I, I just had also heard that there isn't necessarily a police report of a car crash at that scene at that time that day. <laughs> So that's where I, oh man, this could come back to bite me, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. He's, this is his first year in Philly. They, they asked him where he got hit. He said this location, they looked through the footage, didn't find anything. It could have been the wrong location. Um, what's even not interesting, but like kind of just messed up is someone got, well, TMZ specifically got Footage from his ring doorbell of him getting home after said accident happened, which is just scary. Yeah. Like the fact they were able to get private footage is like, it's terrifying. It, the, the footage is whatever, but it's like that that's to me invasion of privacy and just, yeah. just super messed up. But that's what TMZ does though, isn't it? <laughs> I, Yes, I gave them maybe more credit than it was worth, where it's like, okay, they will have a good scoop. They'll beat people to it, but it's like not usually that ethically incorrect. But They're the I, ones who broke the Kobe Bryant news, weren't they? They did. Yep. And they're very good at getting scoops, but it would be this morbid, but if they were like, Posted footage of the helicopter crash. That's like that's obviously different yeah. levels, but that it's like that where it's like okay, that's kind of scary. You have that. Yes. So, yeah, I agree. I don't know. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I hope he comes back. He seems to be recovering and like, th- th- which is good. Scary stuff though, and you know, just be safe when you're walking across streets. Or just on the sidewalk, because if it's it's Philly, it wouldn't surprise me if someone just hit him on the sidewalk. Yeah, especially come come winter time, because that that jackass who isn't looking at their at, at the road and looking at their phone, it's a lot harder for them to than break. Yeah. Little, little public service announcement for you PSA. on the on the show today. Um, anything else we want to talk about on the world of basketball? Like I said, we're just over a month in right now, so nothing too crazy has happened so far. I do want to bring it back to the West a little bit. A um, little bit different. It's the start of the season. I know a lot of teams get off to hot starts. Nuggets have looked great. The Mavericks have also looked very good to start the season, which is you know good for them. Um, two other teams in the mix that are surprisingly started hot, the Thunder and the Timberwolves. Thunder 
definitely seeming like that young lineup that they have is really coming together, starting to mesh. You know, Chet Holmer runs playing his first season too. Uh, and then the Timberwolves definitely been playing well together, but Anthony Edwards is the focal points of that team. Maybe not taking the MVP step, but definitely in that upper echelon of players. Yeah, I mean, I think playing for Team USA was huge for him because, no, like we discussed over the summer, it was not maybe the most talented pool of players the NBA could have sent over. But Anthony Edwards got put in a situation where he was being teamed up with some of the best players in his league, and then he was told, you're the guy. You're the one that we're going to focus on as our number one scorer. That's a huge confidence boost for a young guy trying to figure out his place in the league. So he brought that back and that, that obviously Team USA didn't medal, unfortunately, but he brought back what he he learned from Steve Kerr, from Eric Spolster, from all the Team USA coaches. And it's looked great. So he's looked great so far. I mean, we know that Towns isn't somebody that can lead a team. We know Gobert can only do so much on the basketball court. Anthony Edwards, I think, is the only one in Minnesota who actually has any clue as to what's going on, which is why they're off to such a hot start. I think of these two teams that you mentioned, the Wolves and the Thunder, the Wolves are definitely the one, though, in my mind that has has the, the higher chance to have the floor kind of swept out from underneath them because... I think with the Thunder, there's a there's a a bit of a an almost mysterious factor to them. We know they're good, we know they're young and talented, but we don't actually know what this team looks like running on full cylinders, running at a high level consistently. We might not technically know what that is for the Timberwolves either, but that's because that this core hasn't been able to get to that level, and we're pretty aware that they can't get to that level. Again, Edwards has been young. He's been trying to figure it out. Maybe he's been the missing piece. But in my mind, the Thunder are a much scarier team. They're deeper, they're younger, and they're more energetic. And that leaves so much more to the imagination when you have to prepare for them than the Timberwolves do. The Timberwolves is cover Edwards, cover Towns, and you're fine. If you can shut down Edwards, it's... You're going to have a good shot of winning the games. The one thing that's a positive for the Timberwolves, though, is they do a playoff experience now. Yes. Obviously, it didn't go well against the Nuggets last year, but they still have been there. The Thunder have not very young core still. So for both teams, it'll be good to go to the playoffs, get more experience. I think the Thunder, though, would also fall into that category of if they made the playoffs, they haven't been there before, they could play poorly or shut down a little bit. They definitely have struck very well on their draft picks in the past. They're playing very well. There's a real good core in OKC, and it's exciting to see what they've cultivated. But, yeah, to your point, the Timberwolves, if you are able to shut down Anthony Edwards, which is easier said than done, yes. that team is not winning any games. And you won't shut down Anthony Edwards. You can only hope to contain him. But one guy versus an entire core will do a lot. Because, yeah, Cat's Cat. Gobert's not scoring you enough points to win a game. Nope. And then... But 8.8 8. 8 ain't doing it for you? Yeah, no, definitely not. So... <laughs> I'm, I want to be happy for the Thunder, and I'm excited to see it. I worry, though, they have a lot of good young talent. 
but I'm worried it may not be enough. And I'm curious to see what Pressy does to shake it up. Like this, we're talking two years mm-hmm. down the line. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and right now, even as well as they're doing, even for this year, you just have to worry like a team, a, a team like the Rockets that who knows how, how well they'll figure it out if they can surpass them. And then of course, a team like the Lakers that you almost assume is going to figure it out at some point and maybe potentially have a chance to surpass. So even if this isn't your year, if you're either one of these teams that I'm going to, I'm just going to say neither of them really have playoff experience gaining that true playoff experience of not just being there, but being in at least one hard fought six or seven game series. That's really your NBA championship this year. And that's okay because there's nobody that's going to beat the Denver Nuggets as of right now. They're not a soul. All right. And the Bradley Beal was going to play and then didn't. So other than that, it's basketball news. Bradley Bradley Beal is the biggest bullet dodge the Miami Heat have ever encountered. You say that about every player that doesn't go to the Miami Heat. Okay, what happens to all these players that don't come to the Heat? And what happens to the Miami Heat? We go to the finals, and they are out for three weeks with, with Kevin Durant as a teammate. I, I agree, but every year, like, I want this player. I want this star. And I'm like, just keep your team. Classic denial. What do you want? <laughs> Tyler Hero is good. He's not even no. Tyler Hero's not even playing. Never mind. <laughs> let's get off basketball. This is, this is touchy. All right. All football. right. Let's move move into football here. We will not spend too much time in straight news. We'll get into some standings in just a second here. But what we do have to talk about is the plethora of injuries that we have yet again been seeing. We talked about this way earlier in the year with the turf field and with the the high level of high quality player injuries that had started. And that really hasn't stopped. It may be lulled at some point during the year, but there have been a fair amount of injuries, as as is to be expected with football, like we talked about in that episode. But the high-profile players seem to be piling up more and more. And now, especially in the AFC North, things have gotten very, very interesting as the Bengals who've already had a wild season so far. They started off really slow, starting to figure things out a little, excuse me, figure things out a little bit. Now we'll have to be going through without former number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, the rest of the year, out with a hand injury that we basically all saw on this past Thursday night football. He threw a touchdown and writhed in pain afterwards. But he's not the only one. Deshaun Watson got ruled out for the rest of the year. The Browns quarterback, who's been in and out of the starting lineup all season. And in that same Thursday night game that Burrow got hurt, Mark Andrews suffered a season-ending hip injury that we will talk about in in just a minute. I want to start with the quarterbacks, though. Actually, I just want to start with the AFC North as a whole. First things first, already in last place in the division is this. All there is to say about the Cincinnati Bengals season is, is this kind of it for them. Yeah, it definitely is, and I think Zach Taylor will be the scapegoat, which I think he deservingly should at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be so much talk about should they have rested Burrow in that week one game to start the year? Should they have, you know, should they have this? Should they have that? Is Jamar Chase as good of a player as everybody has believed him to be there's going to be a lot of things going on but most I think it's mostly centered you, you may be right where Zach Taylor gets scapegoated here but I feel like the focus needs to be on that offensive line they didn't give Burrow a chance agreed and that's where they're going to need to do stuff in the offseason to bolster that I I just think though with how the injury was handled because you know, he, 
rushed back may not be the right word, but he was injured. They didn't start really hot. And then he kind of had to figure out what to do. He had some sort of wrist vessel on. It wasn't an injury Yeah, something. Yeah. And for him, the precautions were good, but I think it may have been a little bit worse than we gave credit for. And then sure enough, he is actually injured and the, they probably were like, let's just shut him down. So, so let, let's stick with Burrow for a second because you mentioned that thing that was on his hand. This was not like a during the game. This was before the game. This was oh, the yeah. week of practice. This has serious sports betting implications because there are people who are now going to be suing the Cincinnati Bengals and suing the NFL for not clearly distinguishing Joe Burrow's injury. There's going to be a huge amount of uh, lawsuits that are going to have to be be sifted through to see if there's any legitimacy to for the Bengals not properly designating Joe Burrow on their injury report. I think what will come of it is no, well, unless the sports books actually do it, like there's not going to be any sort of compensation unless like FanDuel decides I'll give back people with bet Burrow or the Bengals or whatever. I think what's going to happen is more punishment if you don't properly list your injuries. It's so tough because there are plenty of guys who play not at 100%. Your injury list essentially is 40 men deep. Yeah, yeah, everybody. People are banged up. It's week week 11. Everybody's on that thing. Yeah. makes it more of a problem when it's a star player. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I think they're gonna have to write some new sort of rule for it just to prevent this from happening again. Um with that being said though, Burrow doesn't get hurt. None of this is talked about. So. No, not at all. And to be honest, the solution is just anybody who even remotely has anything to go on is just gonna be listed as questionable from now until the end of time. Yeah. And it just I'll hate it for fantasy implications. Yeah, but. I was I was about to say fantasy managers will be in hell, but fantasy betters will at least feel sleep a little safer. Yeah. Okay, move on to the other quarterback that got hurt here, Deshaun Watson, because this one maybe has a little bit less immediate implication on playoff standings because the Browns have played half the season already without Deshaun Watson. They're six and three. They're the sixth seed in the AFC, third place in the wild AFC North right now. So. They have largely been operating with P.J. Walker as the quarterback in place of Deshaun Watson, with the one exception of the Dorian Thompson-Robinson game against the Ravens that went about as poorly as it could have. They have confirmed that Dorian Thompson-Robinson will be the starter against Pittsburgh in Week 11. However, they are not necessarily sitting there as they did work out a few quarterbacks, one of which former MVP, Super Bowl MVP Joe Flacco was worked out. He has not been signed yet by Cleveland. So two questions. Two, possibly three questions here. Number one, can Cleveland still make the playoffs without Deshaun Watson is the most prevalent question. Number two, will Dorian Thompson-Robinson be the starter for the remainder of the season? And three, if not, who will be? God, I hope he's not, because he looked abysmal when he played. Like, P.J. Walker, I'm not saying is the second coming of any star quarterback, but at the same time, he's good enough to win you games with behind that defense because the defense is incredible and has paid absolutely dividends for my decimated fantasy team (laughs) what the browns should do it's okay if you want to start dtr i totally get that 
What they need to do, though, is keep both their quarterbacks just on a leash. Just be like, all right, you're struggling. I'm going to take you out. Have it be week by week. If he outcompeted him in practice, totally get it. That you know, That's why Kevin Stefanski has paid the big bucks. To me, from what I've seen in game, I'd go with P.J. Walker, but I'll go with it. Either option isn't great, even if it is Joe Flacco, dare I say. They should keep a short leash on both of them and go from there. I I would agree. I think even if you do bring in a free agent, a Flacco or somebody else, there has to be they have to be handed that that starting role at that point. Like it has to be Walker has stunk. Dorian Thompson Robinson has stunk. We need some life on offense because like you, like you mentioned, their defense is incredible. Their defense is actually arguably better than Pittsburgh, which who we'll talk about later on in the show, is only in the position they're in right now because of their defense. So, and and, and I, I, I'm looking at my phone here. I wanted to pull up Cleveland's next few games, their, their next few games. It's not impossible. They go, they go, they're home against Pittsburgh this week, obviously having to figure out the new quarterback situation. Then they go to Denver, which has been a tougher opponent to play over the last few weeks. Then you go to L.A. to face the Rams, who have been up and down all year. Then Jacksonville, home home against Jacksonville, home against the Bears. A lot of these games are still toss-ups, despite the fact that Deshaun Watson is not playing. That is a testament to their defense. However, the issue is their division. As yes, their division still has to play each other a decent amount, but their division is so good. They are 6-3. and three. And they are in third place in the AFC North with Baltimore and Pittsburgh not looking like they're going anywhere anytime soon. The question is not necessarily can Cleveland stay competitive. The question is can they actually stay in this playoff race? And after looking at that schedule, I I think it is possible. But Dorian Thompson Robinson has to be serviceable. He, there is no way around it. Oh sure. It does help that Watson really hasn't played a whole lot this year, and yes. they've been able to like they've been able to win games without him. Time will tell, though. But they definitely have a much better schedule than some other teams that I'm fans of. So, but That's let's fair. Ta- before we talk about that, let's talk about the Steelers. Um, talk about the Steelers. Yeah, you guys are pissing off everyone. I know it's, it's awesome. kind of a problem. It's you guys really not are statistically one of the worst offenses like of all time. You've been outgained every game and yet you're six and four, what, six and three. We are six and three. We are the first team ever to play this many games, be outgained in every single one and have a winning record. Um, Again, like I just said about Cleveland, it is a testament to our defense. We have an incredible defense and Minka Fitzpatrick hasn't even been playing. The issue is injuries are starting to pile up now on defense. Fitzpatrick has been ruled out for week 11 uh, our uh, our other safety, Neil, just got put on the IR, and Quan Alexander and Cole Holcomb in back-to-back weeks have suffered season-ending injuries. We are now playing practice squad linebackers. So the offense is now at a point where it has to step up, and it did last week in a very big way on the run in the, in the ground. Najee had a good game on the ground, basically virtually splitting exactly carries with Jalen Warren, who also had an excellent game on the ground. A few big switches that Pittsburgh's made in the last few weeks offensively. Uh, Matt Canada is now calling plays Next to Tomlin on the field, he's not up in the booth. He's on the field next to Tomlin. Broderick, uh, Broderick Jones, the rookie that we drafted, the rookie offensive lineman we drafted, has taken over the starting right tackle spot for Okorafor, who has been miserable. 
I might add. Those two things, plus the reignition of Deontay Johnson into the lineup, has really improved the Steelers' offense. Not not to any legitimate levels of offense, but it has legitimately improved the Steelers' offense. And after this game against the Browns, if you look at the Steelers' schedule, they do not face many top-tier outside of that Week 18 game against Baltimore. That's why I'm not worried about Pittsburgh, because they have time to figure out this offense. They have time to let their defense get healthy. It allows them to do this, because they have. I was looking at this earlier, because I had the Steelers' defense in fantasy, and I needed to make sure I didn't have to pick up a backup uh, for any, any given week. And you look at this, you get the Cleveland Browns this week without their starting quarterback. You get the Cincinnati Bengals next week without their starting quarterback. Then you go at home for the Cardinals and the Patriots in back-to-back weeks. Then you go to Indianapolis, who that I'll give you that game could be a toss-up, but we tend to do well against the Colts. And then you end Cincinnati at Seattle at Baltimore. That's where it gets a little murky at the end. Steelers have a fantastic schedule right now. The Steelers are in a great spot defensively outside of those few injuries that we need to figure out. So as as frustrated as everybody is as to figure out how the Steelers are winning football games, that might be the spot to look is strength of schedule. The Steelers finished third in the division last year. So they're playing third place teams this year from last year. That that look, as much as it almost sounds like a cop out five seed, the Steelers have taken advantage so far, and you can't blame them for that. They are not the strongest five seed of all time. They're also not the weakest five seed of all time. Definitely not. I mean, much like the Browns, they have a really great defense. Their offense is starting to click, or at least looked like it the last two weeks. Uh, I think a funny stat is there's a few teams that have played 10 games, but in terms of points scored, the Steelers have scored 156 points up until, you know, the game that's coming up tomorrow. (laughs) The only teams below that are the Patriots, who are at 141 with 10 games, too. Uh, the Jets, who are at 144, and then <laughs> and then just the Titans, who are two points behind. So there are not a whole lot of teams you're outscoring, but this is important. Besides the Browns, the Ravens, the Chiefs are another one, but you've allowed one of the least amount of points, which obviously is how you win football games. Uh one thing I want to ask, a little bit different than just an overall thing about the Steelers, but Deontay Johnson's return game, you know, he's been back for two, three weeks now. I think this three. will be his fourth week, third or fourth week back, I want to say. Um, you know, there was a big touchdown where he hadn't caught a touchdown in like thousand days or whatever it was. <laughs> and George Pickens, the other receiver, did not have a good game. He got like two catches for like four yards or whatever. No, negative one yard. It was negative one, even worse. So we're on net out with it. That touchdown he's seen walking off the field, not celebrating. Do you think that George Pickens is going to be on the team within two, three years? Oh, I a hundred percent do. I think the reason here, Pickens is the guy. Pickens is the one that could actually be the next, I won't say Heinz Ward, but the next great Steelers wide receiver. I really believe that. The thing about Deontay Johnson is he does something, he's one of the best at something in the NFL, which is crazy for a middling NFL wide receiver to be that. He has some of the best footwork as a route runner in football. 
he is amazing at getting open very, very quickly into a route. He's not a downfield threat. And like you mentioned, he's not really an end zone threat either because he makes one. He, this was, I think I, I don't know if we were doing the podcast by the time, by the time he was drafted, but right when he came to the league, the only player I could possibly compare him to was Antonio Brown, not because of the great skill level, but because of the way they played, like literally how I saw them running routes, how I saw him going after passes. He has just this innate ability to get open. His issue early in his career was he couldn't catch the football when he was open. And now the issue in his career is is the quarterback throwing the ball to him. He, however, is maxed out at where he is right now he's just that get the ball down the field receiver like you met, said again he's not an end zone threat which keeps Pickens relevant Pickens is a red zone threat and he's not a, he's not a great downfield threat Pickens is an excellent downfield threat a tall receiver with great hands I think them two can work very well in tandem together but I think when it comes down to do we have to pay Johnson or do we have to pay Pickens that's a no-brainer it's Pickens okay I because Pickens was doing great when Johnson was out albeit catching less passes but for way more yards. Yeah, make no mistake. I think he's a good receiver. It's more of the emotional ego aspect. Like that. We had Antonio clip, Brown. We can. We had Chase Claypool. We had Martavis Bryant. We can handle some ego in our receivers. I mean, they're they're gone. They're they are gone. They are they are. I. It, it pains me thinking about that Vontez perfect hit because that was the Steelers team that was like, damn, we really could have won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um. But time will tell. I mean, they're they're playing good, and th- that I I've just been seeing everyone just pissed off in the world that they're like, no way this team's good. And like when you watch them, they're not they're not incredible. They're not but pretty. They to watch win either. games. Yeah, they win. They, they the the one thing the one positive thing, and then I'll I promise I'll stop harping on the Steelers. The one really positive thing I have to say about Kenny Pickett is he just like I used to say about Jamal Murray, he's got that it factor. He's got that clutch gene where he he can win you a game on the last possession even if he isn't necessarily doing a whole lot and it's just him commanding the offense he does know how to win games and that is a huge that's why I'm not worried about his development being a little slower than your average quarterback that's why I'm not worried about needing to draft a quarterback in the next year or two so quite yet because Kenny has shown he belongs in the NFL he just hasn't shown that he can dominate the NFL Sounds good. But yeah, Ravens at the top of that division still. They are lighting up teams. They are steamrolling them. But there was another injury in the AFC North that we've got to talk about because of the controversy around it. That was Ravens star tight end Mark Andrews is out for the season with a hip injury. And that came coming off of a what what is being now talked about as one of the most controversial tackling form tackling excuse me let me rephrase this ways of tackling which is to grab a player by their waist by their hip and just kind of drop yours just kind of almost play dead basically just let your body collapse to the ground because as effective of a way as is as it is to tackle it does tend to lead to quite a few significant player injuries and of course mark andrews being the most recent victim and now it's been a huge topic of debate over the last few days in the in in the world of football of should this be the next play the type of tackle banned from football and the two sides are divergently separated you are either on the side of this is gruesome this is illegal they should never be allowed to do this kind of tackling or you're on the side of that looked like a regular old tackle. What are we even talking about? 
there's nobody that's really like I it's like lost in the gray or there really is no gray area here you're either for or against yeah it, it's unfortunate what happened to Mark Andrews you know it's out for the season but like that's I don't know what his metrics are but he's 6'3 220 whatever like big big dude big tight end hard route runner you're not gonna tackle him straight up like especially on like a slant pass you grab him around the waist and try and like hold him he's gonna just march on through so that's where it's like that play i don't know what you could have done to bring him down i'm not saying you like you could have not hip drop tackled him but he's scoring a touchdown probably or getting to the next level it's unfortunate what happens but i don't know how you prevent it unless you're gonna change how people play defense like and just, that, that means like yeah. attaching flags to their butts and saying pull it off instead of tack like what do you want at that point like you look at the tackle and he's clearly not there's no intent there he's not trying to hurt mark andrews he's trying like you said he's trying to big da- bring down a huge dude it's like when you had to guard lebron james on a fast break you don't actually foul him because he's going to make the shot you hug him so he yeah. can't get a shot off it like i said it's a shame I know you can see examples of people getting hurt with it. People do it all the time. You can see other examples of people not getting hurt. So Exactly. That's the one they don't want to talk about right now. Yeah. and I, Look, if it happens to a Steelers player or an Eagles player, we'll obviously be upset because they'll be out for the season. But at the same time, like, what are you going to do? It, 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 exactly. And, and, and unfortunately, what we can only tell these teams to do, and maybe I shouldn't be the one saying it, seeing as we're talking about all the injuries to all my rivals – but you just kind of have to suck it up and move on. That's really all you can do. Andrews' hip isn't going to get any less messed up over the next four days. He's out for the year. You have to live up, live with it and move on. They have a great backup tight end in Isaiah Likely, so they should be just fine without Andrews. But a tough blow. But that's, again, that's the sport. This is the sport where we see so by far the most amount of injuries. It, again, we don't cover hockey on this podcast, so I won't talk about hockey. But <laughs> compared to the other sports we cover here, it's so it, – it's just part of the nature of the game. You're running into each other at full speed. can only do so much at some point to protect players. At some point, you have to let them play the game. Yeah, and I'd, even if they wanted to make that a penalty, I'd be very curious to see them calling it consistently. Yeah, I mean and, – and we already still get so much backlash – the the refs are and the league get so much backlash already from from the roughing the passer calls that feel soft then that that don't look very rough I'll say yeah it makes the, the hits on a quarterback are a little bit easier to call because mm-hmm. most of the time they're not running it can be very bang bang I'm not saying they call it well at times but it's a little bit easier when you have people running around and tackling and depending on the angle, you won't see it. Like, that's just going to be impossible. Yeah. So we'll see what action the NFL decides to take at some point, uh, if or if any, about about these hip tackles. But for now, just like when I had to move on with Jesse James, not getting that touchdown call, Ravens have to move on without their tight end for the rest of the year. <laughs> now, we're going to keep talking from some football, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the playoff picture here as we are just over the halfway point in the NFL season. We have we are on week 11, so we have eight games, seven, eight games left, depending on who's got buys left. 
We're going to talk about some of these teams and where we think they're going to finish. The AFC is a lot, has a lot more up in the air than the NFC does right now. So let's actually, we usually start in the AFC. We'll start in the NFC for the, for once. We don't, we don't like to do that very often because that is a little bit simpler to talk about right now. So sitting atop the NFC and the top NFL, the NFL in general with the best overall record are your Philadelphia Eagles at eight and one. This has been largely impressive due to the fact that there has not been a game yet where the Eagles have looked like the team from last year uh, in terms of dominant, in terms of both sides of the ball dominance. They've had their moments of dominating on each side of the ball. But we it's scary. What I'm saying is because there we know that there is another gear that this team can get to and they are already the best record team in football. So if they can figure that out come playoff time or ideally a few weeks before playoff time. I'm feeling pretty good about my prediction. I'm not supposed to talk about them. My prediction to have the Eagles win the Super Bowl. <laughs> you should be feeling good because you're right. That defense has not played well really at all this season. The only exception would be the Bucks game and like the first half of the Patriots game. They've had their moments, but the offense has really clicked. And when their defense has needed to, it's made plays, albeit very, very stressful like the Cowboys game that we talked about where the Cowboys were at like the I don't know five yard line no timeouts and within five seconds they were at the 40 because of penalties but they won and just my heart rate was in the 200s they play very the the run defense is great secondary is trash they just I This is going to sound just vain, but they very much like to just send their front four at the quarterback. And a lot of times people are in coverage, but they'll just pick them apart because they're playing zone or it's soft defense. If they had some sort of incredibly gifted, like fast DN, I know they have Redick, but we're talking like, you know, a Parsons were just like, they're so quick off the ball. Obviously that's yeah. generational. And that's where it's like, okay, cool. You, if you, if you put a really, really good defensive end in that team, they'd be even better. They they need to be quicker on blitzes, like sending those linebackers after the quarterback. Cause with four men, the quarterbacks have a lot of time, no matter how good that defensive line is. And they're just picking them apart. It, when, the end of the Cowboys game when Brandon Graham went off the edge and was able to make some plays, that's where that chaos got caused and that's where they were able to win. But I hate the whole four man rush seven in coverage. And then I just watched them get picked apart. So, you know, they're on a tough part of their schedule. Now they play the chiefs, bills, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks, you know, next five games. Those are the bills are looking like the pushover of that group. It's, it's funny. Because I have just more and more like confidence that the Bills are going to just kill them. And just it's going to be some stupid second gear. And you're going to be like, what were the Bills like, doing? Yeah, where did this come from? Yeah, but I, I'm optimistic about them. They, they need to improve defensively. The offense is playing exceptionally well. Yeah, no, this is a good, good proving point for the Eagles this season is how, how well do you fare during that tough stretch of four or five games that you just mentioned? 
Eight and one right now, best record in football. We will see get matched up against the second best team in football record wise, the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night this week that we'll talk about at the end of the show. But there you have it. Number one seed in the NFC right now, Philadelphia Eagles. Moving on to number two, we have the Detroit Lions. Seven and two, running away with their division right now. Uh, Dawson playing great. Amon Ra's playing great. That defense outside of the Chargers game recently has improved a significant amount. And Dan Campbell looking like a strong coach of the year candidate right now. What, are, what do you think the chances of that man being the coach of the year are at this point in the season? I'm trying to think of anyone that I think is more deserving. Maybe I think that was where I was leaning, but just he's been he's been a long tenured coach and has been good in basically every year he's been there. Yeah, it's Doug Peterson. It's kind of the same thing where just wherever he goes, he's usually playing real well. So I think you give it to Campbell, especially with the turnaround. That's how the coach of the year works. Um, You know. I talked a little bit a few weeks ago about how I thought the Lions in the or maybe I haven't said it on here, but I think the Lions, they're obviously hot and doing well, but that's such a young team. And I'm worried that when they get to the playoffs, they're going to kind of waver and just kind of play safe or just, you know, turn off the lights are too bright kind of mentality. I got to give credit, though, because they were in a real shootout with the chargers and it was 38 38 fourth down you know chargers could get a stop and dan cable went for it did a pass play and got it able to seal the game so he's got balls and i hope he continues that because you need to be aggressive in the playoffs not blindly aggressive but it'll pay off and be able to keep that mentality and not just do it against a team like the Chargers. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, I think they've evolved a little bit from when we talked about them last about how, yeah, we thought they were maybe this team that's going to make the playoffs, but lose pretty early. I think I could see them winning. Like right now they're matched up against Minnesota in the first round. I could see them winning that. I don't see them getting the Super Bowl yet because Philly and San Francisco, if San Francisco can kind of figure things out are better, but Man, has like you said, has that turnaround been so significant? Dan Campbell, yeah, I think is the runaway coach of the year right now. Um, they're a talented bunch. They're a young bunch. There is gonna be there's gonna be a good football team for for years to come. So next up on next up three seed San Francisco 49ers sitting at six and three. <sighs> Hot start to the year. Kind of cooled off since, especially defensively. That stout defense is kind of been a little susceptible of late and Brock Purdy also not playing his best football of late. However, we know the potential of this team. I don't think anyone's questioning if they're going to turn it around. The question is, is the turnaround going to be big enough to stop the Lions or the Eagles? I'm going to need to see how Philly does in this stretch. I can assure you that they, especially if they have home field, that they will beat the Lions. Um, but I mean, even if they're not, like, I think they could go into Detroit and knock them off. They're, another team that's been very battle-tested, especially mm-hmm. after last year. They're a tough bunch to beat, especially if it's not the Super Bowl, because that's where they kind of waver. But formidable. I know they lost three straight, but they crushed Jacksonville, and I think that bye week really helped them to kind of get healthy. And, you know, with Chase Young and the team, that's another good weapon on defense. So. 
that defense. definitely scary. Definitely has that pedigree. Don't describe the 49ers. Definitely don't. And then our final division winner, the uh, participation award of the NFL goes to the New Orleans Saints, four seeded five and five. Derek Carr, I don't believe is going to be playing. Although Saints are on bye this week, sorry. So they, of course won't be playing this week. It is up in the air right now if he'll be back for their next game. Michael Thomas dealing with yet another significant injury. His season very much in jeopardy at this point. That whole division outside of Carolina still in play. Are the Saints going? We, we predicted, bless you, predicted the Saints were going to be the team to win this division at the beginning of the year. Do we want to hold firm on that, or do we think Tampa Bay or Atlanta might end up getting the better of them? I do want to hold firm on it. They're not a great team, but they're a good team. And I also think the only team that can rival them is the Bucks. And yeah. they've had some tough losses. They've just they're they're a step away from being able to take the division. But they need some help or some games to go their way. Like, they played great against the Texans, but C.J. Stroud was just on fire that day. So it's things like that. Obviously, not all of their losses are just unfortunate, but they they are going to hang around. Um, Panthers, I won't even really talk about. Falcons, <laughs> just I just will not talk about the Falcons either because they're, they're okay and the division is lackluster, but... They, they're just they're play play it safe. They don't really want to throw the ball. They don't want to use their weapons. Uh, it's just it's just a mess there. And yeah. I could see if they finish like seven and ten, which is very possible. Like I feel like you could make an argument that Arthur Smith gets axed. He, he with how he's treated their let's call it star quote unquote star players Bijan Pitts. It's been weird. It's almost felt like he's trying to get himself fired at times. There could be stuff going on behind closed doors, though, where maybe I don't get this vibe from Bijan, but like maybe Kyle Pitts, where it's like, I'm going to just not respect him. Now, respect is earned, not given, but there could be something there. But yeah, the cryptic answers to like, hey, why does Bijan get four carries? Like, oh, I'm just. He was sick or whatever it was. That, that's another one of those things. Does, does betting implications need to come back into play at some point? Because that yeah. Dijon was not on the injury report that week, and he had one carry for three yards because he was sick. It was great. I didn't play against him. And then the next week, he put up like 14. I'm like, cool. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. So we got the Saints at four right now. Seahawks are the five seed, six and three. They've had some great wins. They've had some bad losses. Uh in terms of five seeds, I actually have more confidence in Pittsburgh than I do in Seattle right now. But that five seed is very important in the NFC because that is very much upset territory right there. I'd like Seahawks against the Saints. I think they're a well-coached team. Gino's been a little lackluster this year. But, I mean, they're winning games. I know they lost to the Bengals. Uh, they lost to the Rams earlier in the year. They and got then, cooked by the Ravens earlier in the year. But so have the bad loss. Agreed, but so have the Lions. Like the Ravens are on a bit of a roll right now. I, I like what they're doing. They're gonna be a tough team. You wouldn't want to play them, and especially the Saints, because it's the Saints. But Seahawks are looking good. They have not missed a beat since Russell Wilson was dealt. No. Been good. The again, again, almost 
it's kind of crazy how how stacked some of these wild card teams seem this year in both conferences. Um, the Cowboys are the sixth seed right now at six and three. Obviously, looking like a very strong six and three team. Dak has really come on. Dak and CD Lamb have really come on over the last few weeks in terms of fantasy football. Dak's last four finishes have been QB one, QB three, QB two, and QB one. He's been incredible. He's been on a tear. Cooks have started to figure things out. The tight end Ferguson has started to figure things out. The running back Dowdle has become, has been coming on and is going to start uh, splitting carries with Tony Pollard in the backfield. Gross. Very gross. Their defense is the one thing that's obviously gotten a little bit worse as the year is going on, but that also just came with injuries. Leighton Vander Esch, apparently his career is in jeopardy at this point as he will be done for the season. A neck injury has unfortunately gotten the better of him right now, so... Hopefully he's able to recover at least just in the the physical sense to be a you know a normal functioning person, let alone the chance to play football again. So we'll see how that affects their defense. We know they're already down digs for the rest of the year, but Michael Parsons we know can do just sensational things and and terrifying things for an opposing quarterback. So you cannot count that team out. Still the number one, fa- uh, I mean yes, the number one fancy defense, number one overall defense in football. Still the Dallas Cowboys. They're matched up against San Francisco right now. Obviously, most people would say that whoever gets Dallas is on upset alert in the playoffs. But if it's San Francisco, that feels like the really the one team outside of obviously Philly that they do not want to play in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, but with Philly, there's that extra gear too. like sure. Philly's a tough matchup, but like it's a divisional game. <laughs> 49ers. Yeah, we'll see if they get decimated injuries, but man, they just have the Cowboys number year after year. And, you know, they, 49ers just play well against them. Like, there are just some teams that other teams beat, and 49ers always beat the Cowboys. We'll see where that net's at. I mean, they're in a tiebreaker with the Seahawks, so they very well could just end up playing the Saints and rolling through them. Yep. But, yeah, the Cowboys. Cowboys are a great team. They've been playing real well. Dak Prescott's been on a tear. Make no mistake. He, you got a chance to see the Eagles defense. And I got to see a lot of people being like, the Eagles aren't that good because their defense sucks. Well, I'm like, yeah, but they're still eight and one despite that. So yep. show good their offense is. <laughs> their defense does not suck. Let's put, let's start there. <laughs> Robbie, I'll tell you what, you watch that pass defense. It's, it's rough. Like it's, I had to watch Ike Taylor for years. I know what rough pass defense looks like. Uh, Ike Taylor caught a stray for no reason there. <laughs> One thing I will say, though, is this is just a quick rant. There's like four or five quarterbacks with 70% completion this year. That should not be a thing. Yeah. Dak Prescott being one of them. But, like, completing seven out of ten of your passes, like, that's that was unheard of, like, five to ten years ago. And that's still crazy to think that it's still considered a defensive-heavy year this year, too. It definitely is more than some years, because, like, some of these games have been lackluster in terms of scoring. There's exceptions to that. But, yeah, 70% is nuts. And I'm not going to say you should rework the defensive, like, coverage stuff, but, man, like, 70%, you're more likely to complete a pass than miss it. Then that's yeah. that cut. I want. I just let's. You're you're more likely to complete a pass like seventy. Uh, forget it. I'm done with this. That's a stupid yo, yo, statement. 
You'll cut it. You'll fix it. No, I'm, I'm keeping that in. But it's a stupid statement because <laughs> even the worst quarterbacks are still completing 50% of their passes, which is dumb. But And then know. there's Zach Wilson. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least in the standings, is it the drumroll, please, Vikings? Oh, yeah. No, let me let me let me take a step back here because we're going to be old. We're going to be old men talking to telling stories to our grandchildren and. And if we're ever together, you know, we're spending that time together, you're going to get mad at me because I'm going to be telling my my and your grandchildren about the legend, the legend of Joshua Dobbs, the man, the myth, the savior of the Minnesota Vikings season, the journeyman for the last year. I mean, he started this season with Cleveland and a hilarious full circle story that has turned into. They traded him to Arizona. He had filled in. Again, only one one game, but filled in actually quite serviceably for Kyler Murray all year. Was benched all of a sudden before being traded to Minnesota, who had to deal with Kirk Cousins suffering a season-ending injury. They benched Josh Dobbs in his first game for the rookie J- uh, Jaron Hall, who gets hurt. Dobbs comes in, wins them the game. They haven't lost a game since Josh Dobbs came over. They are undefeated in the Josh Dobbs era heading into this week's matchup uh, Sunday night against the Denver Broncos. I, I I can't actually say any of my faith in Josh Dobbs was based off of was rooted out of real fact. It was all rooted out of Steelers bias. However, this is one of those moments where I'm just going to take the credit and run because, my God, Josh Dobbs has been great. He's, he's no he's no MVP candidate. He's no he's no comeback player of the year, any nonsense like that, but he is excellent. He has proven himself to be a legitimate NFL quarterback, whether that be starter or backup. And he has given, what he's really done is he's given this Vikings team a chance to be competitive still this year with Jefferson on the cusp of returning. He's already been ruled out for this week. Good chance he comes back next week. They're six and four, the seventh seed in the playoffs and have a game and a half lead on the next best team. They're in a very good spot. And Josh Dobbs is the reason that they are in that spot. Jordan Addison, too. The coaching's been pretty good. But you have to give credit where it's due. And this guy has, no matter what situation he's been put into, come in and done the job. Dobbs twice now has stated that he didn't even know the name of his offensive lineman blocking for him this year. And he's won those games. That's crazy. And that is just a true testament to how knowledgeable and skilled he is as a football player. With how top and bottom heavy this year is in the NFC, like they could easily make the playoffs barring some sort of collapse. I'd be very curious to see what he does with Justin Jefferson because even Jordan Addison, he's doing quite a lot so far. You know, they play the Falcons, right? They this week they get Denver in Denver. Right, but what was the first week? The one where Josh Dobbs oh. scrambled. Yes, I want to I want to say that was Atlanta. Let me check for you. Give me a second here. Yeah, or, sorry. It was the Saints last week and then the week before was the Falcons. But oh, sorry. That's what I thought you were asking. Yeah, sorry. He, he, he came into the game against in week nine against the Falcons after Hall went down. And then last week he beat what's been a very stout Saints defense. Yes. So I'm curious to see what he does with those weapons. But, you know. We're talking the Bucks are the next team in the playoff race. Maybe the Commanders are in there too, but, but yeah, that got a team. Game, sorry, a game and a half on Tampa Bay, two games on Washington and Atlanta. So uh, I'm excited. This to them is perfect because they just are playing with house money. And from what it seems like with Kirk Cousins next year, it seems like they want to re-sign him, which can talk about that. So we're blue in the face. 
this is a good rental and you're absolutely right. Josh Dobbs deserves to start somewhere with what he's done, you know, in Arizona for the few games and then what he's been doing in Minnesota. Starting with Tennessee last year, he kept them competitive last year. Absolutely. I Josh Dobbs is a lower level QB one and a great, incredible backup. Yes. He'd be, he'd be a superstar backup, but for them, play with house money. They play the Broncos, they play the Bears, they play the Raiders, and then the Joe Burrowless Bengals. That's a great stretch to have them play divisional games against the Lions, Packers, Lions. So there's a lot going for them. And if they can win half of them, they'll make the playoffs. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think those teams outside of maybe the Saints, are going to stay just about the same for the last three weeks of the season. Again, like you said, barring some major collapse or, God forbid, Josh Dobbs a season-ending injury. Knock on wood. So there you have it. That's the NFC standing head for the NFC heading into Week 11, as they, uh, only in the AFC has Week 11 begun so far. So let's shift gears now into the AFC, where a lot more teams are alive in the hunt still that aren't just those seven playoff teams. Up top, though, unsurprisingly, 7-2 Kansas City Chiefs, despite some offensive struggles this year, their defense has looked excellent. Chris Jones has been great since missing that first week. Um, had to go a game without Taylor Swift, so it's, it was a bit of a struggle offensively. Kelsey didn't play, play so well. But otherwise, pretty much what we expected from Kansas City so far, dominant most of the time. Mahomes has had some games where he hasn't looked great, but he's also had some games where he's looked excellent. Um, To be honest, I don't have much to say about Kansas City because they have not done anything overly or underly surprising so far. The team we got to talk about in the AFC, though, is that two-seeded Baltimore Ravens. Eight and three, looking like arguably, maybe with the Lions, the hottest team in football. Their defense is scary. Most sacks in the NFL. You know Lamar Jackson is going to do his thing on the other end. Gus Edwards has been a touchdown hog these last few weeks. This is Say all you want about the, the up-in-the-airness of the AFC North. The Ravens have been dominating it all season long. That has not changed since the start. I mean, I mean, like since like week two when Pittsburgh was technically in first place. But they have been in front the whole way, more or less. And I, as much as I love my Steelers, do not really expect that to change at any point. I, I want to say, but I do not expect that week 18 Pittsburgh-Baltimore matchup to be for the division. I believe that will be a Pittsburgh fighting for a playoff spot game and Baltimore resting their starters. Yeah. They look good. Lamar Jackson has... The offense is balanced. He's playing real well. Gus, Gus Edwards is looking like a machine. It, I, I like where they're heading. We talked a lot about Lamar in the playoffs. He hasn't done a whole lot. They right now have a chance. Like they're competitive for a bye, and I'd be very curious what they could do with a bye. You know, like the 2019 season, but. Right now, they look great. They, I, they're my favorite to get the one seed, just because KC's got to play the Eagles, and you know, it's gonna be a tough division for them, those divisional matchups. But they're they're rolling. They're looking, yeah, they're looking like a tough out right now. Having not, I think I don't think they've lost a game in like three weeks. It's been terrifying. 
So they, those two teams, Chiefs and Ravens, sitting atop the AFC right now. A few games behind them, third seed Jacksonville Jaguars, 6-3. and three. They have been a storied team in the NFL so far, as Trevor Lawrence has not lived up to the hype of number one overall draft pick so far. <laughs> a hilarious quote from Doug Peterson, hoping that uh, that uh, Trevor Lawrence doesn't cost him another job. Um, this team should be better than this. I know six and three is a good record. I know they've beaten actually a decent amount of teams in the playoffs, Pittsburgh included. But I mean, this was expected to be one of the best offenses in football. And they have really struggled at times. I mean, again, we know how good that 49ers defense is, but they got shut down by the San Francisco 49ers. You cannot let that happen against playoff teams. I don't think they're necessarily in jeopardy of losing the division as the Colts haven't been that consistent. But they are definitely on the on the brink of being one of those teams that could lose in the first round of the playoffs with home field advantage, because right now they're matched up against Cleveland, which could go their way, could also not go their way. But you have to think about teams that aren't in the playoff picture that are going to make a push late season, like the Bills and the Chargers. Those are teams that Jacksonville doesn't. I, I know what happened with the Chargers and the Jaguars last year in the playoffs, but those are teams the Jaguars do not want to have to play in the playoffs. And unless Lawrence figures something out, which I don't see happening. So right now, not at this point, but even so like AFC South is probably the weakest division. We expected the Jaguars to win, expecting to be good, but I don't think we were ever predicting them to be the one seed. Like anyone who thought they'd get to the Super Bowl is kind of that flashy new pick. And, you know, it's funny because they're four and oh away. And that's impressive. But, yeah, they they beat the Steelers and Pittsburgh on a rainy day. Like, things like that. They have their flashes, like you said. They need more consistency. And I think that may be a long-term thing where they're not going to be able to do it this year. But within two, three years, they could get something. But The lone bright spot has been Travis Etienne. He has emerged as one of the best running backs in football. I'm fully aware because I played him when he had the Steelers game and I was oh, not happy. Yeah, I wasn't very happy either, but for very different reasons. <laughs> Understandable. So Jacksonville, still some things to figure out here. But like you said, probably not doing much worse than anybody really predicted by this point. Yeah. Four seed Miami. They had the hot start. They have come crashing back down to earth ever since. Uh, still leading the division, though, with Buffalo really still trying to figure out what's going on there. With everything that's going on with the Bills so far, currently sitting outside of the playoff picture, do you think Miami is a lock to win the division? No, I don't. I think the Bills have a real tough schedule, by the way, because we probably won't talk about them a whole lot as they're outside the teams vying for a playoff spot. You really jinxed them two weeks ago. I, I really did, didn't I? I go, this team is a team that can make the Super Bowl. They haven't won a game since. This this team is my favorite to make it out. Just faltered. The Bills, like the Eagles, have a real tough schedule coming up. They play the Jets this week. They play the Eagles. And then after that, it's Bills. Sorry, it's Jets, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins. That's a miserable schedule. Miserable. I will say I think they'll beat the Jets. I'm worried about the Eagles game for probably no reason, but – that's a dumb one. Because Tyreek Hill's going to have 300 yards receiving against you? 
Tyreek Hill doesn't play for the Bills, so I will worry oh, about the that. Bills. That's... Sorry, I thought you were talking about the Dolphins. My apologies. I worry about the Dolphins. That will happen, and I will worry. No, it already happened. No, I'm good. I'm good. You're good. You're good. I'm, you're... I'm, I'm free from Tyreek Hill for now. Um, The Chiefs, I think they can win. They always beat the Chiefs in the regular season. Don't know why, but they do. I think they'll beat the Cowboys, too, just being at home. like It's going to be a dumb game, but I think the Cowboys will come back to earth. Chargers, I feel like they could lose. Patriots, yeah, I think they'll beat in Buffalo. And then the Dolphins game, I feel like, is a toss-up like for the division. Yeah, that, that could very well come down to that. I think they'll lose that Chargers game because that's going to be a make-or-break playoff game for the Chargers. Like, do we have, actually have a shot to put it to the last week of the season? Yeah, that's a, that's a bad schedule to to be in this spot that they're in right now. They're, they have home field advantage. They have a two-game lead over Buffalo right now. Buffalo owns the tiebreaker? Buffalo beat the Dolphins early in the season. Yes. So, the oh boy, I talked to my buddy about this. The tiebreakers, it goes head-to-head record, and then after... So, like, if you sweep a team, you know, you're, or win a game, you beat them the tiebreaker but isn't it conference record after that or common opponents it's head-to-head division record Mm win-loss against common opponents uh and then conference record there you go so the dolphins the bills are the hardest schedule i think they're gonna still win like four of those games though yeah, I mean, they're they're a tough five and five team. They're not a team to say they're out of the mix right now because they are very much in the middle of it. The problem is the Dolphins have these games. They play the Raiders, which they should win. They play the Jets, which I think they'll win that, too. They should win. They should win. You'd hope, right? Yeah. The Commanders, they'll win. The Titans, they should win. They play the Jets again, this time in Miami, that they'll definitely win. The Cowboys, I think they'll lose. The Ravens, they'll lose. And then it's going to come down to Bill's Dolphins again. That's a rough end of the schedule for them, though. That could prove dastardly. Um, yeah, that's a tough one because, like you said, Buffalo doesn't have a great schedule, but they're that team that can win any game they're put into. And, and, and I still and think Miami's going to pull it out, though. I still think they're they're gonna figure out and win a division. I I don't I'll think be, Buffalo's out of the playoffs though, not at all. Yeah, I think they may lose in a tiebreaker. I think they're gonna end with the same record. The one thing working for the Bills though is they're gonna have a bye, and that's, that's after right. the Eagles game, I believe. So that's that's gonna help. There you go. Get a little healthy going to that last stretch of the year. So those are your division winners in the AFC. Fifth seed, we already talked about them, so we won't spend more time on it. But the Pittsburgh Steelers sitting at six and three, and probably to say the least. The six seed Cleveland Browns, six and three. We'll see if they'll be able to hold that with Dorian Thompson Robinson taking over a quarterback. And the seven seed in the AFC currently sits the Houston Texans at five and four, led by rookie Phenom, second overall pick, CJ Stroud, who has come on over the last two weeks, especially despite three turnovers last week, able to manage a second straight game with a game winning drive on the final drive uh, to you know what a game-winning drive means. They've looked good. They've figured it out. Their defense is kind of what's going to be the thing that holds them back, we think. And to be honest, as well as they've played in the great position they're in right now, I do not believe they're going to make the playoffs And when things are all said and done. However, 
barring a season-ending injury, C.J. Stroud has locked up the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. Yes, I, I'm like without a moment of hesitation. Yes. Okay. So there are your seven teams in the AFC, Kansas City, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Miami, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Houston. And in the hunt is everybody else, pretty much. You have the 5-5 five and five Colts, the 5-5 five and five Raiders, the 5-5 five and five Bengals, the 5-5 five and five Bills, and then the 4-5 and five Chargers, Jets, and Broncos. Now, Gross. I will exclude the Jets, Broncos, and Bengals from this conversation for the reasons that I don't think the Broncos turnaround is big enough. Zach Wilson is not a playoff contending quarterback. And we have absolutely no clue what's going to happen with Cincinnati with Jake Browning taking over. So I will leave the last, I will leave it to the Colts, the Raiders, the Bills, and the Chargers, which out of those teams sounds like it should be Buffalo and LA. They are the teams furthest down in terms of tiebreaker on that list. So, well, Chargers have the worst record in general of those teams. We talked about Buffalo's tough schedule. I know the Chargers also don't have a very easy schedule coming down the stretch. I think one of these teams makes the playoffs. I don't think both of them is gonna, are going to make the playoffs. As of right now in the AFC, again, barring major issues, I think the first five teams, whether or not they're sitting where they are right now by the end of it, are going to be in the playoffs. I don't know about Cleveland, and I, like I said, I don't think Houston's going to be in. Buffalo will take that Houston spot. The Colts are going to make things interesting, but I don't think they're going to be the final team to do it. The Raiders, I also severely doubt, which is where the Chargers come back into play. It's going to be Chargers and Browns for that last playoff spot. And let me tell you, the Browns have a much, much easier schedule. I'm for it, even without having a decent quarterback. But that defense is something else. That pass coverage, too, yeah. is just I'm, incredible. I'm like benching Deontay Johnson this week because of it. I should I start Amari Cooper? See, who's your other option? Because I over my my one buddy, it's Cooper or Jordan Addison, and and I said Cooper in that case. Sure. Um, I don't have much. Let's see. I could either do Cortland Sutton. Uh, C.D. Lamb was already being started, and then yeah. um, that's it. <laughs> I mean, Sutton might get the touch. He's got what seven touchdowns this year. He's been scoring basically every week, so I, I need – I have all the Colts players on by this week, so I'm just like mm. I, I, I'm I stuck. But I also think Cooper will have a half-decent game. He, 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 he's the number one target on that team. He, they, they should be game planning for him. But what I will say is that Amari Cooper's worst fantasy game this year came on the Dorian Thompson-Robinson game. I know. That's, what, that's why I'm so adamant but, that he shouldn't play. But what I was just talking to my one friend about is that game he was thrown in a day before the game. Yeah. This has been a whole week of prep for him. Well, put it this way. Do you think Najee Harris is going to outscore Amari Cooper? No way you're giving it this much thought. I, the thing oh. is, in a game like... No, you have to listen to me here. Because in the, in the thing is, in a game like this, I feel like Najee Harris is the only stealer that's going to get into the end zone. Maybe, but he's going to have 20 yards rushing. He's going to have 11 carries for 20 yards and, like, two touchdowns. God, I can't. I just can't start him. No, I I, I think Cooper is the best way to go. Okay. Steelers' pass defense isn't very good. <sighs> Hope not. All but... right. Anything I... more we want to say on the standings before we wrap up the show here with our predictions? 
I don't think so. We're getting into the late game of the NFL regular season. It's going to get exciting. These games are going to get a lot more tense and bring on some Thanksgiving games too. Can't mm-hmm. for that. That's going to be fun. We will get. We will make sure to put even if we don't get a show out next week with you uh, in Pennsylvania. We will get our predictions out for the thanks before the Thanksgiving games just to be safe. Oh yeah. All right. So let's finish the show here as we often do with our NFL predictions. This for Week 11. So we already had the Thursday game. Baltimore beat Cincinnati 34 to 20. Burrow went down for the year with that one. Same with Andrews. So with the remaining slate. Uh, just a couple teams on by this week. Not too many teams on by week. Uh, so, so a decent amount of games still. I'll let you take over from here. Run down the docket. Let's see. I, like I said earlier, I don't know how different our picks are going to be this week, so I'm intrigued. Steelers at Browns. You know I'm picking the Steelers. I'll pick the Browns. I think this is going to be what, it's going to be a fluky game. I can see it going either way. It's going to be 16-13 some game-winning field goal, either by Dustin Hopkins or uh, Chris Boswell. So. Or the Steelers are going to put up 27 points with, like, 100 yards of offense. That honestly could be the case. They'll have a pick six and whatnot. Um, but I think when the Steelers beat the Browns before, they are lamenting on the fact that Nick Chubb snapped his leg. That's they're coming fair. back with a vengeance. They're the dog pound. So let's be different. Um, God. Raiders at Dolphins. Wow. I mean, this is this this is one of the easy ones to chalk up. You, we're gonna go. I'm assuming we're both going Dolphins here. I will be going Dolphins if this one though. If the Raiders win, it's got big implications because the Raiders will be six and five, and the Dolphins will be six and four. It does a lot of chaos, but I don't see a world the Dolphins lose this. No, they're in Miami too. Like Dolphins are good there. Aiden O'Connell has not looked great so far, except against the Giants. But (laughs) well. I yeah. could look great against the Giants. No, no, you wouldn't. Okay, I'm short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bears at Lions. Bears at Lions, another easy one. We got to get to Detroit here, although Justin Fields is playing this week. Damn, crazy. Uh, Lions. It This one, if it was flipped like in Soldier Field, you could be like, maybe say. it'll be close or whatever, but Lions. Yeah, in Detroit, Lions. Titans at Jaguars. I originally put Jaguars. I have changed to the Titans. I think Will Levis, excuse me, Lil Levis is going to get win number two. I think Hopkins has a good game, and I think this becomes a serious question mark on the Jacksonville Jaguars season. I think this game is a pick where it's going to be lopsided one way, and then it's going to come down to the wire. I'm going to say Jaguars because I feel like if I pick Titans, Titans are going to start hot and the Jaguars are going to slowly come back and win the last second. And I'm not going to remember it, but it's going to happen. So I'll say Jaguars. I, I can see a world where Derrick Henry has like 96 first half rushing yards and like two second half rushing yards. Exactly. Um, let's get into the slate of very questionable games. Chargers at Packers. Chargers at Packers. That is going to be a good game. I expect a shootout, but in a must win for LA, I got the Chargers. I got the Chargers too. Even though it's at Lambeau, just the offense for the Packers sucks. It's the so Chargers bad. Like, defense isn't good either, but man, they're going to be able to 
I, I think contain him. Right? I don't think contain is the right word here. I think the Chargers offense is better than the Packers offense, and the score is going to be 34 to 24. I like that. These are these are the Packers have one of the worst offenses in football. The Chief, the Chargers have one of the worst defenses in football. However, the difference between the Chargers offense and the Packers defense is where the advantage goes to the Chargers. Okay. Cardinals at Texans. This one has huge fancy implications for you and I. This this is projected to be, I believe, the highest scoring matchup of the day, which is my favorite thing in the world. I got my boy CJ Stroud. I got my boy Seven Dingletary. Everybody basically told me to start Singletary over Pacheco, so I am. We got the Houston Texans. We're riding it out. I also said the Texans. I worry this one, though, is going to be a quick blowout, and then I don't see C.J. Stroud getting points. I don't see Singletary getting points for whatever reason. Give me 46 carries for Devin Singletary. I don't care. All right. Cowboys at Panthers. Panther. No, no. No, I actually don't know if the Panthers are going to cross midfield by halftime. Could you could you imagine, though? If the Panthers win, like, Cowboys fans shouldn't should just delete all of their social media accounts. I mean, I mean, they shouldn't speak. I mean, this is, this is like a really, really, really bad Panthers team. I will say Cowboys. I know you're going Cowboys. Yes, I am. So we'll chalk it up at that. Um, A real interesting game giants at commanders i knew it was coming as soon as you started that yeah this is this is hilariously probably one of the more difficult games to predict because they're both so bad uh but i got washington in this one sam howell despite all odds leads the nfl in passing yards this year but he also leads the the league in sacks i believe like sacks taken he has been the most sacked quarterback I got to say the Commanders, too, just because they lost the Giants earlier in the season. They didn't look good. Still very close, and they couldn't do anything. So Terry McLaurin rebound game. Big day. I'm hoping. And no Six Jahan for 118 Dodson. in a tutty. I locked him in as my wide receiver, too. No Jahan Dodson, like, scores or whatever. He, but he's pro- he, he can go ahead and drop his third goose egg of the year. That's fine. I'm hoping. All right. Uh, afternoon slate of games. Like, late, sorry, later slate. Bucks at 49ers. Bucks at 49ers. This is going to be more competitive than I'm guessing the spread shows, but I do have the 49ers. I know it's boring. I have them as well. I even when Brady was there, like they still got rocked by the 49ers. So I don't think Baker Mayfield's going to be the difference maker. It may be oddly competitive to like the third, and then I think the 49ers will just pull away. So we'll see. Jets at Bills. Big one for both teams. But I mean, Buffalo lost this matchup in week one. Huge game for them. I think they bounce back. They're at home this week, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. I think the Bills, Bills will take this one. It's the Joe Brady era after Ken Dorsey was fired, much to the glee of every Buffalo fan. And by Matt, the way, Canada next. Matt, Canada. Oh, sorry. Getting ahead of myself. He's doing too well. You, you, you're locked him in for another year. It's the Mike McCarthy effect. Awful. Um, I will say though, we didn't talk about it enough. They look terrible against the Broncos. Ken Dorsey is now good this entire year at calling plays, but I fault nothing for how they played on Monday. That was, that was Josh terrible. Allen and James yeah. Cook dribbling a football 
to glory. James freaking Cook, man. I don't even need to get started on him. That is that is one miserable starting running back. And that's a miserable fantasy owner right there, if I ever heard one. <laughs> I'm not even his fantasy owner. He's just bad. He he's good if he had a decent offensive line and didn't fumble. <laughs> and didn't fumble every two seconds. I think Joe Brady era and Buffalo, I think they are gonna get a bounce back win. It's not gonna be pretty, but like we're talking twenty four seventeen kind of thing. Yep, 100%. One score game all the way. Seahawks at Rams. Stafford is playing, I believe. However, Rams kind of stink. I got the Seahawks in this one. No Carson Wentz yet. Not yet. It's hard to be a team twice. I I I got to say the Rams. I whatever reason, just they beat them earlier in the season in Seattle. I know it's tough to, it's a divisional game, but I'm just going to say the Rams going to be a weird one that they lose, and then you're kind of like, what are the Seahawks? So Right. Uh, Sunday night game, Vikings at Broncos. Broncos, one of the hotter teams in football. However, after that all-time rant, I cannot bet against my boy Josh Dobbs. Vikings. Watching the Monday night game, the Broncos played like weenies, but it won the game. And I think, one, the Bills are injured. They were able to chunk yards, but, like, the big thing was they weren't able to get some of the drives going at the start. Vikings defense is not as good as the Bills, even when the Bills are injured. I think the Broncos are going to move a little more efficiently. I'm going to say the Broncos. And that... We'll see what happens with the Broncos defense that has played very well this year, too, against Mr. Mm-hmm. Josh Dobbs. Talk about that turnaround after week three or week four or whatever it was, 70 points to the Dolphins. What a real turnaround for them. Absolutely. And then last but not least, game of the week, in my opinion, Eagles oh, yeah. at Chiefs. But yep. before, we pick, before we pick, just quick update. Taylor Swift will not be in attendance due to her Rio de Janeiro concert being pushed back 24 hours. All right, so that that knocks the spread down if you put no. <laughs> it, it, I think it does. It changes it changes things. Kelsey's got nothing to play for. No. Um, this is a great game. They're Super Bowl rematch, obviously. Uh, regular season though, I actually think the Chiefs have a little bit more on the line than the Eagles do right now. I got Kansas City in this one. If Taylor's Swift- pass defense still hasn't isn't is not up to the task of Patrick Mahomes yet. I don't disagree. But Taylor Swift not being there may put Travis Kelsey in a body bag. I'm going to say Travis the Eagles. Kelsey, four for 19 incoming. Only, yeah. Only reason I'm picking the Eagles is because no Taylor Swift. But those are predictions for week number 11 of the NFL season. It's getting interesting, getting fun. But, yeah, no. Playoffs are coming. There, yeah, they are. And they're knocking on the door. Not quite around the corner yet. We'll say they're knocking on the door. All righty. There you have it. Our week 11 predictions, our updates for you on the basketball, football, and, and MLB MVP updates. Um, Like I mentioned, we probably will not have a Thanksgiving episode to put out for you guys. Or we'll not have another episode before Thanksgiving. Might not even have an episode this weekend. We will kind of play that one out by year at this point. However, like I promised, we will get you those week 12 predictions before you start sitting down and carving the turkey. We promise you that. So 
take some time. I'm sure everybody's got a short work week coming up. Enjoy it. Spend some time with your family, your friends. Relax. Take a beat. Enjoy some great football. Enjoy some mediocre in-season tournament basketball. Enjoy, enjoy sports. Enjoy life. Be happy. That's all I have to say for you guys. Take care, everyone.